In the cannabis industry, there are an infinite number of buyers and sellers, and no one buyer or seller can make a difference in the market. And it's for that reason that it's a fair market. So if the price of a particular variety or a particular kind of pot is lower than another kind, then um, that's because people have determined that they like one more than another. This is Rebranding Cannabis. I'm your host, Jared Mursky, and you're listening to the show that helps the industry grow. Hear from industry titans, thought leaders, and the up-and-coming founders of this multi-billion dollar industry. Presented by Wick and Mortar. Welcome to another episode of Rebranding Cannabis. This is your host, Jared Mursky, and today my guest is someone who is uh, dear and special to me. His name is none other than Ed Rosenthal. Um, Ed has been a longtime cannabis activist. Um, he's considered a, a guru in the industry by, uh, by many ways. Um, but more importantly, he's, he's literally written the book on cultivation. And uh, Ed, being an elder I consider in this industry, is going to teach us a lot about not so much the past, but the future of cannabis and, and how it relates to, you know, things we can bring into, you know, our businesses or perhaps our home grows now. Um, Ed, thanks for joining me. I, I appreciate you. And it's, it's good to see you again, man. It's a pleasure to be with you. So uh, what's what's new, man? And I, COVID going on. I know that you're, you're probably just chilling at home with the wife and and working on some new stuff. What's what's up? What, what are you working on these days? Um, uh, rewriting Marijuana Grower's Handbook. You know, it was done 10 years ago. And this time, uh, I'm rewriting it in collaboration with uh, people who are experts in all different fields. So it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to have a broader uh, base of knowledge. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I remember when you were at my office. Was it last year for our party? You brought me one of your books. An autograph it for me, and I think I've gotten through about half of it. It's that, there's a lot of really good information in there, but I'm sure a lot's changed over the years, given what you knew then versus what you know now. What would you say you're adding to the book as far as new information? Well, there's so much more. There are so many more tools available now, and uh, sensors so that people can get information about what's going on, and then there are new cultivation methods. So all of those add up to mm -hmm. pretty much a, a, a different uh, style of growing than in the past. Are you going to talk a lot about uh, you know different pesticides and or rather pests uh, and pest control as well as uh, you know the 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 variations of growing um, you know strain? I mean, I, I guess like what's the like what would what what are some of the highlights going to be of the book that you think would be different from what I read in the last one? I know that there's new growing techniques, I'm sure, but well, we for one thing we cover the stages of cult of growing of uh, flowering. So you know how uh, people will say, "Oh, harvest before the trichomes turn color, or harvest when they're cloudy, or harvest when they're amber." Well, we've actually been uh, doing tests and showing what happens 
uh, chemically as those uh, colors change. For that's just one example, okay. but the whole book is is like that. It, it's very very thorough, and um, it's, uh, we're still doing tests for it. A lot of, a lot of uh, cool. research. Nice. Is this book more focused on the commercial grower or the home grower? Because I know you've got a huge focus on that home grower uh, philosophy. It, it sticks with the home with the home grower, but the information uh, is universal. So uh, uh, commercial growers will find it very useful, and it does go into mm-hmm. small com- commercial operations as well this time. Now, I remember during an interview, Ed, um, you mentioned, you know, with marijuana, you can never control the supply. Um, how do you see that affecting the growth of the cannabis industry as it relates to the legal market? Sometimes there'll be uh, shortages and the price will go up and sometimes there'll be a glut and the price goes down. That's, you know, it's the market. Mm-hmm. I think more and more people mm-hmm. will use it. Mm-hmm. And um, as uh, the yeah, stigma yeah. erodes... It, it, more and more people will grow it, but it, it's like tomatoes. It, um, more people in the United States, more tomatoes in the United States are grown by home growers than by all the commercial growers. And I think that's what marijuana is going to be like, like that. I agree. I agree. But, you know, and, and I remember you also during an interview, you said, you know, Mark Emery said, overgrow the government. Right. And and so what what does that exactly mean, Ed? Well, uh, he was in the way he was talking about it was that the uh, prohibition can't exist if people grow their own. And if there's a ready, uh, ready supply, which there was. And that's one of the reasons why marijuana became legal by just overgrowing them. They can't. They can't seize it all, and people still enjoy it. So that, I think that's what he meant. And uh, I think that there's another part to it, though, which is that you know we live in such a time of uh, terror by the government that uh, marijuana can help change people's minds about what's, uh, what, how a government should behave. You know, I... I uh... <laughs> It's, it's interesting talking about and thinking about how a government should behave um, when, you know, they have never really behaved correctly in the first place. So it's like, where's the standard there for proper behavior as it relates to the cannabis industry, or really any industry for that matter? Um, I'm just thankful that they haven't made cannabis a Schedule II uh, drug, which has obviously given us, given us all an opportunity to turn this into a business. Um, you know, uh, what's the biggest area as it relates to cultivation you're most curious about and why, you know, cause I imagine there's a lot of new things that you are discovering around cannabinoids and psilocybin. I know that you'd written, you'd written uh, rather an article recently on your blog on the edrosenthal.com website that was talking a little bit about the research you were doing there. Um, Many consumers really don't know the benefits of cannabis or cannabinoids as uh, as they relate to also the combination of psilocybin. 
tell me a little bit more about that because that to me is really fucking fascinating. Ed. And uh, I know that Bruce Linton's out there doing a ton of research in that category as well, um, as are a number of other people um, that I'm close with. But I, you're the expert, so I'm curious to hear what you've learned. They both affect the brain by lowering its ability to filter out uh, random thoughts that aren't supposed to get into consciousness. And so uh, when we're socialized, we learn to look at life in a certain perspective. And uh, that's w and uh, that differs by culture. So we, two, so two people can observe an incident and they'll come away with different impressions from it because of the way they were brought up culturally or the culture that they were brought in, up in. And um, those are sets and set perceptions that we develop as young, as uh, uh, even toddlers or earlier. And um, so both cannabis and psilocybin lower the ability, the brain's ability to filter, to uh, use those sets and set perceptions to filter out uh, certain random thoughts. And that's that's what I think that, that they have a similarity so like, that way. Like no, that makes a lot of sense. So, like, give me a couple of medicinal scenarios where this would work as a modality. Like, what kind of people do you think would benefit from this? I mean, I have an idea. Well, for one thing, um, <clears throat> you know, there's been a lot of work with psilocybin and uh, death, you know, people accepting death and accepting that they have a terminal disease, for instance. And um, I think mm -hmm. that marijuana helps with that, would help with that too, with that modality. But uh, mm -hmm. anybody who's experienced, had uh, psilocybin experiences knows that, uh, that the, uh, cannabis sort of potentiates it a little bit because I think that it works on different uh, parts of the brain or uh, with a brain, works on the brain with a different chemistry. And so I think that the two of them complement each other that way. Have you done much experimenting yourself with mushrooms and cannabis? Uh, yeah. yeah. Usually when I uh, use psilocybin, it's accompanied by cannabis. Oh, nice. What Do you remember the first time it was that you actually tried psilocybin or just mushrooms for, was this, how long ago was that? <laughs> long time ago. I don't even remember the first time. Uh, do you remember the first time you smoked weed? One of the, I remember some of the first times. <laughs> I was watching this video of you and some guy on YouTube and it was like in 2015 and you, I, I didn't realize that you guys were just found, but you had said that this was the first time you had smoked weed or it was the second time you smoked weed. And I was like, wait, this was filmed in 2015. I'm confused. So I had to read the description. And by then I realized that, that he was joking, but you, you played along with it so well that I was like, wait, what? This guy's been in the industry for so long, growing for so many years, and he's never smoked weed up until then. <laughs> oh, that gave me a good laugh. Has there, now you've been in the industry for a oh, forever. Um, I, and I mean, when you look at, uh, I was into cannabis there. before there was an industry. I, I know you were, I know you were, I've been in it for 12 years. You've been in it for much, much longer than myself. And I'm considered an OG. So you're a, I don't, 
you're an, you're an elder, you know, in the cannabis industry. That's what they, that's the definition that I'm told it's called because, you know, you provide a lot of activism, wisdom, and education. Um, you've also helped shape and shift the way that um, legislature views cannabis. And I think that's huge because, you know, much like Jack Herrer and Dennis Perone, you know, they've been instrumental in helping um you know, make cannabis what it is today, much like yourself. Um, I remember, I remember listening to an interview where you talked about um, uh, that guy from Sensi Seeds. Um, I believe his name is Ben Yonkers, right? Um, drunkers, drunkers, yeah. drunkers, drunkers. Okay, so um, I've never met Ben, but I've heard a lot about him. I my last podcast, one of my last podcasts, uh, just recently, was with Dan Hare. And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the Jack Harris strain and, um, in my experience, genetics, right. And, and strain specificity is it relates to the cannabis industry more and more consumers, Ed, are moving away from strain specificity and into brands that convey products with more of an experience. You know, you got candescent, chill, calm, create, connect, charge, which, gives them flexibility when it comes to changing up the strains a bit. How important when decarboc during decarboxylation. So decarboxylation, you know, we only get like 20% of the plant's original profile. So when we're talking about genetics and strain specificity, you know, how important is that as far as the future is concerned when it comes to the recreational market? I see the medicinal market as it's very important, but in the rec market, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm still confused as to why so many brands still try to leverage strain specificities if they're just trying to be a connoisseur brand and only ever one. Well, people like different um, combinations of terpenes with, with, their, uh, with their cannabinoids. And that's why, uh, th that's why there are all these different varieties. So I, well, I think people can do I think people can differentiate. Well, we've talked about differentiation before, but like from strains, if, if a grower is growing the same strains as another grower in California, right? What are they going to do to differentiate themselves outside of perhaps just their brand? I mean, their genetics are the same, same experience. So if one person is using, you know, um, you know, saying Alaskan Thunderfuck or Granddaddy Purple or whatever the case is, whatever the strain is. Right. And another person is saying, okay, look, we recognize that indica sativa do not exist. It exists, but they're all a hybrid. Every strain's a hybrid, right? There is no indica dominant. There is no sativa dominant. It's only indica dominant if you smoke it and say, oh, yeah, this makes me feel more sleepy than it makes me feel awake. But how do you rationalize that when you can overconsume? There are a lot of ways to classify it. I mean, <clears throat> in doing this book, you know, I've been doing it with uh, these uh, um, people who are in the industry and as well as people that are in universities. And so when we first started on it, I came up with this idea that when we talk about uh, sativas or indicas, let's go back and take a look at uh, the terpenes that were in the original varieties the land races or the varieties that came soon, you know, the, the first varieties after the land races, things like skunk number one, 
hash plant and plants like that. So what we found was that there are certain sets of terpenes that are found consistently in what in in the old sativas and a certain other set of of terpenes uh, that are found that are found in indicas and this was regardless of uh, the uh, of the physical characteristics but generally mm-hmm. the physical characteristics match you know the characters. The strain specificity. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's like thin leaves you, and wide but, leaves, right? But then you know you take an indica and a sativa, and you have the F one, and then you have the F two generation. So you might have a wide leaf plant that has sativa um, uh, genes for for sativa for a complement of terpenes that are generally indicative indicative of a sativa or something like that. So you get all these mixtures. So at that point, it becomes harder to classify it. And you have to decide, well, what's the criteria that you use? Uh, what's the criteria that you use to do this? So, I mean, well, what is the criteria that you use to do this? Because there are no scientific studies that show one plant is more indica dominant than another or sativa dominant than another. It well, it depends what all it depends what you know. It depends how you classify it. Well, if you're classifying it by um, by the terpenes, you're classifying it by its effect. And so, regardless of how it grows or what it looks like, if you if you're using that as a main definition, the effect that it has on you, yes, there are definitely plants that are more indica or more sativa, and that is that they have certain terpenes or are lacking certain terpenes. So you're saying that the terpene profile is uh, uh, basically the determination as to whether or not the product is going to be more of an indica dominant versus a sativa dominant because perhaps those terpenes result in a specific effect like sleepy versus awake, right? And that's a classification, as you mentioned. Right? Yeah. like, And um, so that's one way of classifying it. But... You know, somebody else could say, well, I want plants that grow like an indica. And it might, if it's a hybrid, it might be a plant that grows like an indica, but doesn't necessarily have the traditional indica terpenes in it because of that hybridization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes, that makes sense. I'm still trying to figure out though, Ed, if, if like, cause as a branding expert, and I mean, you're a branding expert as well. You've done a great job branding yourself, your book. By the way, Oaksterdam is the college that he didn't mention that his book is used in as uh, you know part of their uh, courses and classes. So I thought that was pretty cool. But um, but what still baffles me, Ed, is the fact that uh, when you decarb cannabis, right, you lose seventy to eighty percent of the plant's original profile as well as terpene profile. So how can we say a consumer is obtaining those actual effects as indicated by the strain specificity? It depends how you you decarb. Well, okay. Let's say most people are decarbing by smoking a bowl or lighting a joint. They're going to, it's the same. Well, they're not going to lose 80%. I don't know where you got that figure from. Well, um, there's a, there's been a test done 
through uh, a company called uh, Harvest Direct Enterprises. They have a technology called LACI. It's lossless activation technology. And what it does is uh, as you take the whole part of the plant and you run it through their machine, it rather than degrading the plant, you know, reducing through decarb, you know, 70 to 80 percent of the plant's original profile, it maintains 95 to 100 percent, making it offerable by perhaps physicians because they can actually tell a consumer or a patient what they're actually going to get versus guessing based on how their decarboxylation method might be. So I like as a branding person talking to a grow expert, I'm trying to figure out the best way to communicate to communicate to consumers through the work we do for not only ourselves, but through our clients alike, the intention behind these products. I try to lean on more vagueness just because if you get 20 to 30 or maybe 35% of that plant's profile, well, that brand isn't being dishonest. But if you're telling me that a strain is going to do something that's far more specific, like remedy um, uh, or rather remove my uh, need for taking Adderall because I can take train wreck and train wreck is the equivalent. If, if you are able to obtain hundred percent of the profile, it's like an Adderall. And so, you know, when I look at strain specificity as it relates to, um, uh, the, I guess the goal it's accomplishing, whether it's medicinal, recreational or wellness, it all matters on how you decarb it. So I guess I'm trying to figure out, Ed, like, you know, what, what should, what should brands do to be honest to consumers when they know, and if they don't know, they now know that 80% of the plant's original profile, if not less or more is removed during decarb. So how do we, how do we tell that experience? How do we talk I, about that? I don't know that I don't agree with your figures. I don't think that's so. Well, then please like debunk that because I'm looking at science I don't have to and, debunk and it. I don't have to debunk it. That's for you to prove. It's not for me to debunk that figure. But like, for how you do you prove how, that how figure? Do you know I don't. That, I, like, where did you get that figure from? Um, from the test results that they've ran through not only their facility, their um, processing, but through testing. Uh, I, I I don't think that's so. I'd love to show that with you. I, I I'd, I'd love I to share it with I, you. I, I I don't think that I just I don't trust that. I do. I, I, I don't uh, listen. I'm not going to continue arguing about this. I'm not aware that's fine. of that. And I haven't seen that in other tests, so um, I just I just don't think that that's a you know I don't know exactly if they're talking about whether you're using a joint or whether you're vaporizing it or whatever. So I I just let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. All right. Well. These are, these are things that I'm, I, I have, you know, a lack of knowledge. And so, you know, you being the expert in cultivation, it helps me understand your perspective. So even though you think it's wrong, I appreciate that because that is helpful more, the more than you could possibly imagine. It just I mean, means that I have I more mean, research to do. You, so thank you. You know, well, they, if, I, I just, yeah, let's just move on. I understand, but yeah, I don't fine. have, I, I don't have information about that and I've never that's seen okay. anything, any uh, studies like that. Other than the one yeah. that you're uh, that you're mentioning, yeah, um, you can check them out. Harvest Direct Enterprises, and you can look them up if you want on your own time. And and I, I tell me what you think. I'm really curious. I, I yeah, like your I will. means a lot to me. So up. yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so I, you know, I guess kind of getting back to you know the future of cannabis and and you know where you know consumers uh, tend to gravitate towards as far as 
strain specificity is concerned, um, what kind of bra- what kinds of brands do you think are currently in the, the space doing it right? You know, which brands in the industry you have know you what? seen? I'm the exact wrong person. I um, I I, ha- I um, rarely actually um, um, come into contact with branded material. Okay. Because I'm working on it in a different sphere. So that's true. Okay. So I just have have no knowledge. That makes of sense. That. Yeah. Now now you mentioned in one of your articles, and I thought it was kind of a cool name, uh the Wix system. Yes. Um and the Wix system, from what I understand, is one of your recommended methods for growing big ass plants. Is that right? Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. And the reason why I love that name too is because it's close to my company's name, Wick and Mortar. So I love the Wick system. <laughs> well, but how does this how does this grow bushy plants? You know how um, a tissue absorbs water. Yes. Uh, well, in the same way, um, certain um, like nylon rope. Um, if you take a nylon rope water will come up the rope. It's called capillary action. And soil also has, a lot of soils have cap, and planting mixes have capillary action so that they'll draw water up as, uh, as it evaporates. So the plant and this, the plant, the soil and the container self-regulate. If, if you, if there's water below, to draw up, and that's the Wick system. It's really simple. You can see any any number of uh, uh, demonstrations of it on the internet. Not only by myself, but by other people. You can grow all kinds of plants with it, and you can use it also in a modified system where you might have a Wick system and also have a drip system part of the time, so that using both and there's something to be said what's for a drip system the drip system where uh water is, water is fed to a plant through a uh through a tube and th- there might be a central tube and little feeder tubes off it so that each plant gets gets a certain amount of water and it, the water drips down into the plant from the tube and that's a okay. very common. Is, that's a very common okay. irrigation system. That's okay, used irrigation. Both, so this both, is not like hydroponics at all. Okay. Yeah. Well. That's, well. Excuse me, to but. Agree. Yes, I do. So, so it's it's used for irrigation, but it can also be used for hydroponics, so that each uh, each plant is fed individually uh, through its own dripper. And it could drip onto a uh, hydroponic material such as rock wool or uh, or the uh, clay pe- pellets, and uh, often called lika. And um, mm-hmm. the uh, um, thing is that um, in a hydroponic system, the it, the uh, nutrients are in the water, so uh, both the the lika and the and the uh, and rock wool are not don't have any nutrients in them, so that so it's uh, the plants are dependent upon the nutrients that are in the water. So does this does does growing hydro- hydroponically hydroponics 
hydroponically. Yeah. Yeah. Hydro does growing hydroponically. Does, does that make the cannabis more consistent uh, over the course of each grow as where I find that there's really a lot of inconsistent brands who are growing the same strain, but it always tests slightly different. It's never always the same effect. So, well, part of that might be uh, the weather. Or the time of the so year that they're growing. That's if it's grown growing, outdoors? If it's grown out, or even in a greenhouse. If, if they're growing in a greenhouse, the amount of uh, uh, light that they get will vary by the time of the year. Should hydroponic cultivation be done outside or only through the use of uh, um, the greenhouse uh, canopy versus indoor, or does it matter? You could do use it indoors in a greenhouse, outdoors. I have a hydroponic system in my front yard where, right now, where I'm growing tomatoes, peppers, uh, zucchini, squash. Yeah, it's very easy to do. Yeah. And uh, hydroponics is very simple to set up. I mean, to set up a uh, to set up a hydroponic unit. Uh, uh, just imagine. Is it expensive? No, no. Like, uh, like for a small unit for. For for instance, uh, for a tray that's uh, let's say two by eight feet, you can get a small uh, pump, uh, water uh, submersible water pump on the internet for about six dollars, and put some tubing, and the tubing could um, so uh, the pump connects to the tubing, and the tubing would go over containers that have a non-nutritive medium. For instance, once again, mm -hmm. mica, rock wool, stones. Uh, there's other material, vermiculite or perlite. So it, and it goes over that, and there's a little, uh, either a hole in the tubing or else a, a, uh, a little side tube that comes out with a, a dripper on it. And you, you're in business. And then mm -hmm. you get hydroponic fertilizer, hmm. put it in, that's it. You're running hydroponically. And that's why you recommend it for a lot of home growers, huh? Uh, it's easy. Well, well, yeah. Let's, you know, you don't, have, you don't have that mess of the soil, getting rid of the soil. You can, in, in some cases, you can use the same medium over and over in a hydroponic system. It's very easy to do. Mm -hmm. No mess, you know. I just came from a lot. I just was having lunch uh, before this, and uh, I had uh, tomatoes, uh, lettuce, and um, cucumber from a hydroponic system. Um, what would you say have been some of the biggest accomplishments you've uh, made over the last five years, or even two years? We can make it easier. There's a lot, I'm sure. Well, I've been doing a lot of research in uh, uh, methods of uh, increasing yield by decreasing uh, turnaround time in the plants, and I've been teaching that a lot. What, what, what does that mean to the, to the average grower? How can that be something they can apply and or learn from you? Well, instead of getting indoors instead of getting four crops a year they might get six and outdoors depending on where they are in the country and how cold it gets and 
how long a growing season they have, they might get another crop using the methods that I'm talking about. So you're just talking about producing more product and decreasing margins. More product of the highest yield, of the highest quality. You can't, yep. you can't substitute yields for quality. Yeah, no question. One thing, one thing that uh, I think that you're going to love talking about, <laughs> and I think that we're both going to get fired up over this in a good way, um, is the misconception behind what consumers, retailers, and dispensaries often sell flour based on, and that's potency. And you and I both know that potency does not dictate quality. Look at Everclear and look at Belvedere. Everclear is 100 proof. We'll get you fucked up, but we'll give you the hangover of your lifetime is where Everclear is a much more uh, sophisticated um, alcoholic beverage as it relates to vodka in comparison to Everclear. Belvedere is less potent and more expensive uh, and better quality. So I like to use that as an example when it applies or as it applies to the cannabis industry. But, you know, what are some things that we can do to teach these, uh, you know, young folks uh, a little bit more about what quality really means when it comes to cannabis? You know, they say beauty is in, is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. What's well, good quality? I mean, you might no. you might think that uh, cannabis that um, you know I I think that quality deals with uh, the head and what kind of how it makes you feel and that's a subjective value. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying oh we should teach them not to buy sickly material or material that is is low potency, oh yeah, but. In terms of determining, you know, they'll have a contest for which is the best marijuana. It's like, what's the best dog at the show? Well, this 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 uh, this misconception though has has uh, quite literally driven down the price of Humboldt grown cannabis. What misconception? Well, um, we just filmed a documentary called A Humboldt Story, and what we learned in our uh, experience through the people that we met was. Um, that the cost of Humboldt-grown cannabis is significantly dropped because consumers are devaluing their product, not because it's more potent or less potent, but rather because it's also grown outdoors. And so um, the misconception is that outdoor-grown cannabis is not as good as indoor-grown cannabis. When I find that complete bullshit, I think outdoor-grown cannabis can be just as good, if not better, than indoor grown cannabis. I think indoor is definitely more controlled, but depending on whether or not you're a, a you know a home grower or um, a commercial grower, you may be a home grower with a small batch farm with you know microclimates and dry cultivation techniques and regenerative farming um, techniques that you're 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 applying to your to your soil and, and to your plants, and, and you're creating a much better product because you're you you put more love and energy and attention to it. And so there's many misconceptions as it relates to quality and potency and indoor and outgrown or indoor and, and outdoor grown. You're not going to like this, but the market is a good determinant of quality. And if, if people wanted prize a particular cannabis, the price goes up. And if it's not as desired, price goes down. And unlike an industry like the car industry, 
where there are a limited number of suppliers, where one supplier can make a difference in the cost of cars. In the cannabis industry, there are an infinite number of buyers and sellers, and no one buyer or seller can make a difference in the market. And it's for that reason that it's a fair market. So if the price of a particular variety or a particular kind of pot is lower than another kind, then um, that's because People have determined that they like one more than another. And who's to argue with taste? Well, uh, misconception. I mean, when somebody – I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like if you've been lied to this whole time, you're going to have this misconception. You're into branding, right? You know yes, branding. Yep. Let's say you have a celebrity. Let's say Willie Nelson or Tommy Chong, right? Mm-hmm. And you put their name on – on a joint. And you know what happened to both of them when they first came out with their joints? I mean, they didn't come out with them, but somebody packaged their joints, right? And you know what happened the fr- not, when, they, when they first came out? Products. What? They're not, they're not the hottest products on the market. So here's the thing. Their name can get that joint into a person's lips once. Once. Yes. Yep. And after You're that, it, it can have the best name, but if it's if people don't like it, they're not going to buy that, right? Yep. So now let's take that to the to you know to the outdoor stuff from Humboldt. First of all, I'll tell you what: how many growers do you know in Humboldt that harvest by September tenth? I I don't really follow. I mean, I I follow your question, but I. I'm not on the cultivation side. But you know they're not not many. They all harvest in October. Okay. They're not harvesting the best pot that they could. And do you know why that is? Tell me. Because they've been growing for more than three years, sometimes for generations, and they just follow. They don't study. They don't. the, The Humboldt growers have not caught up with the technology. And the technology says this that you're going to get the best pot when you have a lot of UV light. Now, Humboldt doesn't get nearly the amount of UV light that the Valley does or Southern California, but if they want to get the most, they'll harvest before September 1st, okay? Mm -hmm. Because the amount of UV light goes down, starts going down. So the harder it is for a fair-skinned person to get a suntan, or get set, get sunburned, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. that means that there's less UV light, okay? And they're all harvesting in October. You know why they're harvesting in October? Because Joe told them to get plants that will be ready in October. And why did Joe say that? Because his friend taught him how to grow. And, and they rare, rarely do you find where they actually study what they do. Now, compare that with a lawyer or a doctor. You know, if you're a lawyer or a doctor, you have to go for continuing medical or legal legal or medical education. So a lot of these people, like, they do everything by word of mouth. They don't read anything. They don't study anything. They don't look at studies. They don't look at 
you know, work that's been done about it. And the only thing they get is if somebody does something, they, they might try it. And then who do they depend on? They depend upon some clerk in a store. Well, if that, if that clerk in the store is so great, why aren't they growing? Certainly, they're not making a lot of money being a clerk in a store. So this person who has maybe a $200,000 operation is listening to some guy in a store who says, oh, I like this. And bud tenders don't always know what the fuck And I will tell you either. something. Like, so what happens is when people go inside, not all of them, but they're more likely to actually uh, study stuff. So, you know, there's been evolution with bulbs. People started with fluorescence, and then they went to um, metal halide and HPS, and then to double-ended and to CMH and to LEDs because they're following the technology. But the people out, but the humble, most Humboldt growers don't follow the technology. Okay, what technology? I'll give you one instance. So I'm saying... Well, they shouldn't be harvesting in October. They should be harvesting in September. So what they could do is light deprivation so that the plants come in earlier. Oh, but I don't want to do that because I'm going to get a bigger yield if I let it grow a little longer. Okay, so you get a bigger yield, but it won't be the quality. Good luck. And you deem quality by what? Potency or? Potency, like, taste, whatever. Taste. Okay. Interesting. Well, you just dropped some knowledge on me I had no idea about, so I appreciate that. That was this is the this is the exact kind of shit I'm on my podcast. Think about it. You already knew this. You know that the market is the ultimate determinant of what's good or bad. Yeah, I do, but I also know that there's a huge there's a huge uh, piece that we need to keep in consideration, and that's that. Wait, wait, wait just because oh, wait, someone says, let's, let's try what? this a different way. We're at, okay. we're at a farmer's market, right? And everybody's handing out samples, right? You know, mm -hmm. let's say tomatoes or peaches, something like that, right? And you go mm -hmm. along, right? And let's say, let's say you're, let's say you're blindfolded, so you you can't make a determination of by who gave it to you or what the person looks like, or you know. And they're not telling you a joke, you know, so you make that okay. ultimate determination. Well, ultimately, the, the, maybe not each particular individual, but, um, but as a whole, you're going to get more, a lot of people are going to come and say the same, the same sample is, is the mm -hmm. best one or something like that, right? Yep, yep. So... Let's when people spend money and say, I'm going to buy this pot or that pot, they make that determination. So if people aren't buy, if people don't appreciate Humboldt pot, pot, don't complain about the customer. Well, what about all the new consumers, right? No, new I don't care who it is. I don't care whether they're new or old. Don't complain about the customer. If the pot no, is, I'm not complaining about the customer. No, no, but you I'm, are. I'm complaining because about the bud tender. The, no, more yes, so the bud you, tender. It's you are people. complaining about the customer because you're saying, well, the customer doesn't appreciate this pot. And I'm saying, no, the growers don't appreciate the customer. They're not taking the advice from the customer who's saying, you know what? 
your putt's only worth 1,800 a pound, but I'll pay 3,000 for this other one. Instead, that farmer should find out why the customer say that that pot is worth 3,000 and my pot is only worth 1,800. They, they shouldn't That's complain. a great point. I, that makes sense. It's the exact opposite of what you were saying. It's, it's not the customer's fault. The customer, the customer knows what that pot's doing to their head. And if they really like that pot, they put down the $3,000. But a new consumer who has no conception of what's well, they know what bad they like is taking advice from but, the butt tender. They, they know not, what, not if they're new. But if they're they new, know. If listen, new, they ultimately, ultimately, let's forget about the new customers. That's like talking about, oh, okay. the children, the children. Oh, the poor children, right? You heard that for years, right? Well, pot, you know, if we make pot legal, what about the children? Didn't you hear that in your life, right? No, I've actually never heard that, but I'm curious. Well, you know, if we made pot legal, it would send bad advice, bad signal to children. Understood. Okay, you've heard that. I've heard that. I don't know if I necessarily. I'm not saying it's true. I said you heard it. You've heard that, right? And you're saying the same thing. Oh, but what about these newbie users? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying, Ed. What I'm saying. Let me finish. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying, let's take the experienced user. Let's talk about experienced users. Experienced users, they're not, say, they're not lining up to pay a higher price for Mendocino weed or Humboldt weed than they are for indoor grown or stuff that's grown properly somewhere else. They're not lining up to do it. So let's just talk about the experienced users. They're not lining up for it. And and I'll tell you something else. Humboldt growers could grow great pot. Mm-hmm. They're just stuck in their ways to a great extent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been there. I, I definitely see where you're coming from. That does make sense when you put it into perspective like that. And I think the biggest point, you know, you made is that, look, new consumers should be taking advice from existing consumers who have been around cannabis a bit longer, who can determine the difference between good versus bad. But I think that in my I didn't experience, say any there are... I didn't say anything about what they should do. No, they, they should do what no, I'm asking. No, they, look, I just I think, think you're, you have a, you have a totally to different. Ex, you probably have had a totally different experience of uh, using marijuana than people who are yeah. just than people who are just starting out now. Because they may never touch it, they may never touch pot. They may just go to concentrates from the very beginning, mm-hmm. or even edibles. Yeah. So there's no, yep. there's no one way. There's, it's there to enjoy and to use. And there's, you know, oh, you're not drinking properly. You drink like this. You know, there's no one way to to do stuff. You know. <laughs> So people have admonished me that they don't like the way that I um, take some bud, put some oil on the bud, and smoke that. They say, no, you, you know, you should dab it, or you should do this, so you should do that. No, people should do whatever they want to do. There's no right way. Agreed. Well, there's, there's no wrong way, I should say. You know, if people are enjoying it, it's not, mm-hmm. you know. Not a wrong way of doing it. Well, 
What pisses me off sometimes is I've walked into a dispensary and I've asked a butt tender to make a recommendation to me. And you know what they do? What? They give me a product that is damn near expired because in the background, their managers are telling them, hey, look, we need to get rid of this product. It's, you know, the sell, the sell by date is, is damn near close. So we need to get rid of it. So what I'm finding is that it's hard to trust sometimes butt tenders. It, it and, depends, and you know, it depends on the establishment. It depends completely. It depends on the establishment, you know. So what can you do? Just train better. Well, one thing that you can do is you don't go to the store that you got the bad pot from. Well, you take it back. Well, you know, you know, (laughs) like as I've aged, people, people might say it's grouchy. But if I don't like a product, like I I went to uh, a hardware store and I I bought this, uh, this um, hose and, you know, it, it broke, you know. And it was only like $8 or something. Uh, and I said, you know, next time I go to the store, I'm going to bring that back. And they say, why are you, my, my uh, friend said, why are you doing that? I said, let the store owner know not to ca- carry rotten, bad product. You know, so mm-hmm. you sold me this and it broke. That says something about the product you're carrying. And the same mm-hmm. thing, let the store owner, you, hey, you know what? I came here. This, this, uh, your bud tender. You know, you say ma- manager. Like, I bought this here. This is what it looks like. This is it. Your your bud tender. You know, suggested it. You could take it back now because this isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if they argue with you. You know, never to go to that store again. And if they're really interested that they not carry that product or not recommend it, so you're actually doing them a favor sometimes. I mean, they Mm -hmm. might not see it that way all the time. Yeah. Well, hopefully most consumers are smart enough to check the expiration date of a product before they purchase it or after. So just some food for thought for all you consumers and bud tenders out there. Make sure you're selling shit based on actual user feedback as ed recommends talk to people who have tried the brand who have tried the products before and get get their feedback because it's it's obviously extremely helpful for new consumers who are entering into the market who've perhaps never tried weed before well you, you could be a product look, for their first time look well you where, where do you live what what city seattle 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 You've been so, here. okay so let's say you go down to portland and you want to buy some pot because you hear it's cheap in Oregon. So you're in Portland mm-hmm. and you and you go to the store and you're not a newbie and you say, what's well, good? I, I've done that. I've gone to a store and I say, what's the best you have? Mm-hmm. What's well, good, right? That's, a, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And if they give you something and it turns out to be not so good, well, either that guy was just trying to rip you off or they didn't have good product. In either case, you've learned a lesson. You know, that isn't the store for you to go to. You can't trust them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're saying, look, I, well, I'm not talking about price. You tell me what, tell me what, the, tell me what your best weed is, right? What's the best stuff that you have or your best sativa or your best indigo, whatever. And, and you use it or you try it and it's not very good. Well, you know, well, 
That's a straw mm-hmm. to avoid. So it's not yeah, in their absolutely. interest. Yeah, it's no not question. in their interest to 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 not be truthful with with a customer. I mean, maybe in a tourist area where you know, they're never going to see people again. But you know, if you if you're depending yeah. upon re- return customers, but even in a tourist area, oh, don't go to that one. When I was there last year, it was terrible. Let's go to this one. Let's try this place. Hopefully, uh, you know, b- bud tenders and, and retail owners and buyers are hearing this message because this has not only happened to me once, but five times at five different dispensaries. So, um, you know, buyer beware, be cautious because some dispensaries use tactics that are not and always in the favor of the consumer. So um, just something to be mindful of. I mean, um, for, you know, just it's good business to to have happy customers. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So how many, now I'm going to kind of ask a, a completely separate question, just derail from this last conversation, but uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, how much longer you think it'll take before we see the U.S. go federally legal? Well, if the Democrats win, it's going to be uh, pretty fast. In spite of Biden, they got, he he will be carried along by uh, uh, Harris, but if and you think Biden's going to be pro cannabis? He's going to be the party. The party is going to force it on him because you, you know. Uh, remember what Cory Booker said. Uh, I I don't know if you were following the debates, but uh, Biden said something about decrim or something. Uh, you know some weird thing and Cory Booker said to him when you said that I thought you were high (laughs) because it was you know so ridiculous and so I think he will be carried along by the party it's not you know it's like he'll take advice from others you know yeah I'll tell you something I'll tell you something about regulate the market I'll tell you something about him he was in um, like uh, the big cliff happened in uh, 1966 through 1968 and it was at that time when the whole hippie thing blossomed marijuana became extremely popular you know all of those things started happening like when they talk about the 60s it started like maybe in other parts of the country it started a little earlier but nationally it started in 67 66 67 he was hippies out to make it rich must be the season of the witch witch. right (laughs) but he was he was already um outside of that youth community by that time he was like three years four years older and that was uh and so you would have siblings who were just years apart, but they were decades apart in being uh, the the old this generation that was still part of the fifties generation, and then there was this cliff, and th- that was the new generation, and he was part of that old generation right before marijuana hit. He was he was the Beatles before they got high. <laughs> that would have been some. I want to hold your hand, you know. 
Yeah. You, you know? I want to hold your hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, he was the Beatles before they got high. And then, you know, and it was folk music, the Beatles, and things like that. And then, you know, uh, there was this uh, folk festival, trying to think where it was. Uh, and um, Bob Dylan came out at the folk festival, and he plugged in his guitar. Um, that was the first time he played electric. Pete Seeger tried to cut the cable. Uh, Pete Seeger was a prominent. What? I've just never heard the story before. This is interesting because my sister's middle name is after Bob Dylan, so I just this is cool. So that was it. That's that was when it went from, you know, like pre pre pot to pot. You know, boom, and there's that electric sound. You know, and so Biden was right before that. He was the old rock and roll, not the psychedelic rock, rock and roll that came with the late 60s. So, so he doesn't understand it. He, it was before, he, he just missed it. Well, hopefully I we didn't. start bringing in some, what's that? I didn't, I didn't miss it. Smoking the same stuff over there? You mixing it up? It, you see, it's just this oil. So I, I had a lot of um, like all these stray bags of pot hanging out here. You know, like stuff that wasn't very good, old stuff that I'd forgotten about, stuff that I put away and forgot about. So I had all this stuff. So I, a friend of mine, just took it all and made this for me, and so. I'm using that up. I mean, it's only. Do like, you ever do dabs? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but not when I'm working. You know. See, I think I'd prefer a dab over flour when I'm working. I feel like I get a uh, more energetic high than I do when I'm smoking. Well, it depends what you're sure. smoking. It depends what you're smoking. It really depends on the terpenes in the pot. Do you have any particular favorite terpenes that just jive better with you than others? Well, it, it's these. Um, it's these groups. Neolinol, uh, limonene, uh, terpenol, those are all really energetic what? kinds of things. What's, what about, what's mycerine? I'm not familiar with that. I thought that it was, maybe I'm, maybe I'm high. I've spelled M-Y-C-E-R-I-N-E. I thought there was one called mycerine. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm tripping. Anyways, Ed, uh, where people find you? Online, other than oh, just Ed go on edrosenthal.com. Put my name in. Stuff with millions of things. I have Perfect. a website and a Facebook page, and you know all of it. Perfect. Well, look, I appreciate you being a guest on Rebranding Cannabis. We've known each other for years. I think what the first time yeah. we met was in uh, Canada. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where we were in uh, what was it Niagara Falls? Actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, uh, it's been a few years, but, um, look, man, I, I've learned a lot from you, um, in the past and even during this podcast. So I appreciate any chance I can get to have a chat with, uh, an OG and, and get a knowledge drop. So look, man, I appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone else does.
Well, I appreciate it. And uh, anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. Till next time. Talk soon, Ed. Yep. Take care. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for being here. Okay. Bye. Bye.